Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, July the 20th, 2023. It is currently 1141 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And I have been sitting in this studio now all morning watching the live stream of the 2023 National Sword Conference. The Sword of the Lord Conference. This is day four. The morning session is over. There are only two more sermons left of the 2023 National Sword Conference. They will happen this evening, uh, 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. Central Time, 7 and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can figure out the time zone. And of course, you can keep up with all that is happening at the Sword of the Lord Conference by going to swordofthelord.com, swordofthelord.com, and I would invite you, challenge you to watch the messages that will be preached tonight at the 2023 Sword Conference, the last two messages of the entire conference. And I'm hoping and praying that it ends in a, in a good way, in a positive way, in a strong way. Now, it's day four. The morning session just ended, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes ago. And so we, I just so that you know, what I'm doing is after I'm watching, you know, an entire session, I'm just turning on the microphone and, and I really want to kind of give this kind of idea, this vibe is what I'm shooting for. We were just sitting in the conference together. We listened to all of those sermons and now we're out and we're going to sit down and have a meal. We're going to eat and I, we're just going to discuss. We're just going to talk about at least you're going to hear me talk about my impressions, my feelings, my thoughts, what jumped out at me from what I had heard, what I'm reacting to. Now, of course, you can share your thoughts and your feelings by emailing me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And if you're listening to us on the Spreaker app, feel free to jump into the chat to share your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, whatever whatever jumped out at you, because everyone reacts to preaching and sermons and writing different ways. Everyone has their, their, I mean, you know, and, and sometimes it's amazing to me, even watching the conference, there have been some sermons there that I'm like, what is that? This is an epic train wreck. This is a disaster. This is conspiratorial, political. What is this? And then when that person is done preaching, there's like 60 people at the altar. And then there'll be another sermon. And I'm like, wow, that was good. That was convicting. That was biblical. And there'll be nobody comes to the altar. And so, like, does, does the number of people come to the altar determine the success of a sermon? Like, how do you, but it just demonstrates. I'm not, I don't think you should judge the success of a sermon based on how many people come to an altar, uh, because some churches you know, we don't even do that. I, I don't do that. But uh, if your church do that, sometime you can start basing the success. There was a time in my, Early Christianity, where the number of people who came to the altar after I spoke, I, I, that was make it or break it. My, my sermon, the success of my sermon was determined about how many people came forward and knelt at the altar and were emotional or crying or talking. Like you looked for that. And now, and now I try not, you know, you don't look for that to determine the success. But from, from watching it, you're kind of like, why, why are all the people responding to that? And even watching on YouTube, there's the, you can post comments and some of the sermons where people are like, Amen, preach it. This is so good. I'm sitting there going, 
I want I want I almost wanted to type in the comments going what is happening right now? What what are you hearing? Please tell me what you're hearing because I'm not hearing what I think is good anything. And so everyone really responds in radically different ways to preaching and teaching. So you may have radically different perspectives and opinions. Feel free to email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com. I would love to get your perspective. Now, overall, as you know, I've had my frustrations with a lot of what's happened in the conference. My frustrations have been very simple, very straightforward. Once again, we have preaching and teaching that demonstrates the political hijacking of the American church. Once again, you have many cases, preachers and teaching that sounds more like uh, talking points of the Republican Party. And some of it sounds like Alex Jones, Tucker Carlson, conspiratorial driven. And I don't know why that would ever show up in sermons. Some of it sounds like children on a playground where you're, you're, you're throwing insults at someone. You're cutting someone else down and everyone's like, ooh, ah, because... There has been way too much of these little throw in these little comments, throw in these little issues, whether it's about Pelosi or Biden or this or that. And it's just it it feels very juvenile. And I don't really believe it belongs behind the pulpit. So I've had my frustrations from that. But I've also have always tried to say whether I like a sermon or whether I dislike a sermon, whether I agree with the sermon or whether I disagree with the sermon. Whether It doesn't matter if I like it, dislike it, agree or disagree. If the word of God is being opened, if the word of God is being preached, then I think I'm, at least for me, not only do I believe it's my responsibility, I believe I have an opportunity to see how they're handling the text. And then when the sermon is over, and in some ways, especially if I didn't like it or disagree with it, really forget the sermon and go, okay, what did they mention about the text? What can I take from that? To then dig into the scripture. How can I ensure that this benefits me in some way, shape, or form? How can I ensure that this benefits me? How can I, how can I make sure that this will benefit me? And, 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 and it's my responsibility to, to get something from it. So I've tried to do that with every message, with every sermon. I've tried my best to, to grab onto something. My journal here is filled with scripture references and I've tried to go back and look at them. And I'm going to try to continue to look at some of those scripture references and look at notes that's been sent to me and try to just Okay, can I can I take something from that? And and maybe you're going to hear things if you if you've watched the conference, you may hear scriptures or something from the conference, and it may show up in a today's focus. It may show up in one of my sermons. It may show up in a, uh, just its own separate podcast episode. Because I'm going to make sure I don't waste all of that, all of those hours of preaching. I want to grab something from it. And I hope that it will be, I hope that it will be, uh, you know, I, I can be convicted by it and that something positive can come from it. That is at least my desire and that is my goal. I'm going to do my best uh, to, to do that. And hopefully I will. But while there's been much that's frustrated me, while there has been much that has irritated me, I will say this morning, the first two messages, I would challenge everyone to go to swordofthelord.com where it says, click here for the live stream of the conference. Click on that. It'll take you to their YouTube page and it will be there archived this morning's, uh, all three sermons from this morning. I would challenge everyone to go watch, take notes, 
pay attention. Listen to the first two messages from today, day four of the 2023 National Sword Conference. I would I would plead with you to go do it because I believe they were biblical. I believe they were good. I was convicted. I was challenged. In some ways, I was greatly encouraged. Now, did I agree with every little thing in them? Obviously not. There were things, and I, and I could sit there and so focus on the things I disagree with that I miss all of the good. So I'm going to focus on the good. And I'm really just, I think I'm just going to focus on the first message that was preached this morning uh, and maybe mention the second one later, or maybe I'll try to bring in a part of that concept. So I'm just going to share my thoughts. I'm going to try, obviously I, I have, you know, this is not all organized and outlined, but I'll try my best to keep it organized and hopefully you will benefit from it. Even if you listen to the sermons, hopefully you'll benefit from it. Even if you didn't, I, hopefully it will be beneficial. Now I found myself this morning going back to a sermon that was preached maybe yesterday or the day before. It's kind of, you know, it all blurs together. So I don't have my notes all nice and organized like, you know, some of you do. So I don't remember the exact day the message was preached, but there was a message that was preached on Genesis chapter 22 that challenged us on defining what worship is. And the whole thesis of that sermon is that worship is sacrifice. That the very true essence of worship is its sacrifice. We are sacrificing. We are sacrificing our thoughts, our, our words, our desires, our feelings in order to exalt God, to worship him, to lift him up. That at the very heart, sacri- worship is when I sacrifice, I lay something down for God's glory and God's exaltation. I am sacrificing something. Now, that, that's a profound idea of worship, right? It's not just singing a song. Now, you could argue that singing a song can be an element of sacrifice because I'm taking my mouth, my lips, my mind, and I'm focusing on God, and I'm not singing or using those uh, faculties for anything else. I'm focusing on God. Now, obviously, you can do that without really focusing on God, and it becomes meaningless ritual. But at its very essence— They taught that worship is sacrifice, and it was based on Genesis chapter 22. And we know we read a very powerful verse in Genesis chapter 22. We can start in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And that tempt there, I think is best to say it's a test. It's a test not for for God's benefit, but for Abraham's benefit, because it's going to reveal what's in his heart or what's not in his heart. All right. Then verse 2, God tells him. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Please note, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. Take the thing that is precious, because He's your only son. Take the thing that you lovest. Take the thing that's precious. Take the thing that you love, and you are going to offer it as a burnt offering. You're going to sacrifice it. Now, what thing is it 
that you lovest, that's precious to you, that you may need to sacrifice it for God's glory and God's exaltation. Now we know he rose up early in the morning. He takes his son, the wood, for the burnt offering. They rose, they went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abram lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, right? Verse five, and Abraham said unto his young man, abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Their argument is that worship there, see, they're going to worship and that worship involves a sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice. Now, we, we talked about that. We, we still feel we need to flesh that out. We still need to work on that. If you remember, they connected it to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, or which is your really act of worship. Sacrificing self is your act of worship. Laying yourself down, sacrificing yourself. Taking that which is precious that you love, which could then become an idol or that which it begins to take more prominence than God. It becomes more important to you than God. And you've got to be willing to sacrifice that so that God is the, the thing that is first, that God is exalted. Now, of course, none of this is going to be done perfectly. We're going to constantly sin here. We know that, right? But that doesn't excuse it. We still are to pursue God. We know we're to do that. So that, that I've been working on what exactly does that look like and what does that mean? And, and, and it's definitely a struggle, but, but we don't just say, well, hey, you know, don't ever worry about it. Well, we have to worry about it because we are called to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. We are called to do these things. Yes, that is law. And it's going to expose that we don't and praise God that we have Christ who's done these things for us. So we find our comfort and peace there. But that doesn't mean we're still not called to try to pursue this. Now, that's been with me. And then this morning, the first sermon was on Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Now, you know Psalm 51, obviously, is a psalm of David. This is David confessing because of the adultery and murder and cover-up that he had committed. He is confessing. So this is a powerful passage on confession. It's a powerful passage of David taking responsibility and acknowledging his sin before God. He's laying everything bare, everything aside. He, he's letting everyone know, hey, I have sinned. I am guilty. It is on me. But the focus of the sermon, even though it mentioned all of that and it did a very good job adding the historical context, the textual context, adding everything, the focus was on Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now, I know Psalm 51.10 presents a million theological questions and issues and difficulties, right? Was David saying, hey, 
Lord, give me a clean heart. And then we know that God granted that. And then David, for that point on, had a clean heart. If you and I pray, Lord, created me a clean heart, do we, are we given a clean heart? Because you got to be careful how you answer this. Because if you say, yes, you get a clean heart, then that would seem to imply the eradication of the old nature, right? Are you saying your heart is so clean, so free from sin that, well, then you never sin again? Well, we say, well, we still have a sinful nature. Well, is a sinful nature a part of the heart? Or do we have a clean heart yet a sinful nature? So is there this back and forth in us? We got, we got both things going on. We have a clean heart, but a depraved nature. Well, how, how isn't the depraved nature a part of the heart? Like, then you get into some really, really, really difficult questions, right? Now, I think first and foremost, what David is really doing here, my, my belief is that David is acknowledging not only his sin and action, he's, he is confessing the real nature, the real source of the problem, which is internally that he is a sinner inside. Right? In fact, looked at verse five, you'll see this. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51, five, David is acknowledges his problem. His sin is not just in the external things that he did with committing adultery and murder and cover up, that the sin started in his very nature. He was conceived, shapen in iniquity. He was, he was brought forth as a sinner. He sinned because of what he is a sinner. And then he says, God, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, thou shall make me to know wisdom. Hey, God, I know, Lord, you're looking for more than just the external good. You're looking for the things to be right internally. So then David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So then he's like, please purge me, cleanse me from my guilt. Now that seems to deal with the guilt internally and externally. God, only you can cleanse me. Only you can forgive me for my external and internal. Then verse eight, make me to hear joy and gladness uh, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hey, Lord, please basically restore joy. Make, Make me once again have joy because I've been overwhelmed with guilt and conviction. Verse nine, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Lord, no longer look upon my sin. Forgive me, cleanse me, don't look upon my sin. And then he asks this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I think he's stating to God, the issue is inside of me. I need a, I need you to do a work inside of me. Now, we can... we. We can pray that. We can sing it. There's been worship songs, praise songs about creating me a clean heart. Oh God, everyone raises their hands. Everyone sings it. But does anyone get an actual clean heart? It really raises the question exactly theologically. It, it raises some serious questions. Again, if you say, yes, you get a clean heart. Well, then why do you sin? Well, because the nature. So is the nature separate from the heart? Because don't we typically see the heart and the nature is somehow linked together? So I don't believe that God eradicates the old nature. I believe it still remains. So then how do we understand this? I think the point is it's it's David acknowledging God, the problem is inside of me and I need a clean heart. I need to be changed from the inside out. And then we, we are to pursue a clean heart. I think we are to pursue a clean heart. We are to desire it. We are to want it. How do we obtain the clean heart? How does this work? How does this work? 
Well, I, I, I want to just go with a couple of ideas here. The first thing we have to acknowledge is the issues wrong inside of our heart. And in the sermon, he made a good point. Hey, we, we were so good at wanting to talk about America or talk about the country or talk about other people, but we've got to learn to see the conditions of our own heart. They're, they're, don't worry about restoring America or fixing America until we uh, acknowledge the conditions of our own heart. There can't be any restoration or anything until there's a revival in the church. And there cannot be a revival in the church until we deal with the issues of our heart. So what is the condition of your heart? Can you ignore? Now, I know that I need to constantly say, God created me a clean heart because that's me acknowledging to God that my heart isn't clean. But what is it in your heart today Now, if you go back to Genesis 22, what is the thing in your heart that's your Isaac, that you're clinging to, that you may have to lay down? You may have to sacrifice it so that God can be glorified. What is that thing that you're clinging to that that, that is messing up the condition of your heart? Now, in the sermon... He said a couple of things. No revival until we get uh, serious about the condition of our heart. I think that's true. We do need a clean heart. The inward, we need to focus on the inward, not the external facade. We can try to clean up the outside, but it's the inward side. And then he talked about really how hypocrisy is defined. And he looked at Matthew 23, 25. He looked at Matthew 23, 25 where we read these words, Matthew 23, 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but within they're full of extortion and excess. Then thou blind Pharisees cleanse first that which is within, which is, which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also. That hypocrisy is when the external does not match the internal. Or when we pretend externally that we don't have the problem that we do internally. All you can do is acknowledge that internally you are a liar, a deceiver, a fornicator, an adulterer. You are unfaithful. You are a deceiver. You've got to acknowledge what's in your heart. And say, Lord, we, my problem is inside. I, but we always want to focus on the externals. As long as we get the externals okay, then, then the internal, we, we, no matter how we say it, we over, always downplay the internal, right? We want to worry about everyone else's sins. We've got to become more aware of what's going on inside of us. We've got to be more aware of what's going on inside of us. Again, I wrote down some things from the sermon. Before we go after the sins of the nation, we must deal with our own heart. Stop yelling and screaming about the world and what the world is doing. Look inside of yourself. Stop worrying about every little issue going on in the culture and yelling and the culture is going to hell in a handbasket and what happened to my country? How about look at your own heart? We have to tear down the facade and focus on ourselves. I thought all of that was extremely 
powerful. And then he pointed out, and I thought was at least interesting, that in Psalm 51, verse, is it 10? Yes, Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. The word create is the same Hebrew word that's translated create in Genesis 1, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's the exact same Hebrew word. God is the one who has to create the clean heart. It's not, it's not, is, is it something we do or is it something God does? Now, now this raises once again 927 million phil- philosoph- philosophical and theological questions. Because if God is the one who creates the clean heart, then is there anything I do? Like, how does God create the clean heart? And if God, and, and then you would think, well, why wouldn't God create the clean heart before David committed the sin, <laughs> right? Because then that could have kept David from the sin. I mean, we get into all of those problems and we just got to be willing to admit those problems because it is difficult to understand. And again, when David says, create in me a clean heart, is it more just an acknowledgement? God, look, I, is it, because remember, the Psalm is David just confessing. Sometimes we take it at like, we got we to gotta take it as this is just a man confessing his sins, right? Now, now, now his words are being recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but I, I don't know if we can take every phrase and go, okay, we've got we to gotta extrapolate from this some kind of doctrine or theology. We have to see it that this is poetry. This is a man crying out to God and it's capturing the emotion. I see more creating me a clean heart as David just saying, Lord, the problem is inside. The problem is so deeply ingrained that if you could do anything for me, give me a clean heart. Now, I wish God would give us all a clean heart because if we had a clean heart, logically what seems to follow is not only a sinless perfection possible, it is plausible and it's expected. But I think we still have a depraved heart, but we can continue to seek God to work on our heart. Now, again, maybe you want to go with the idea that we have a clean heart, but a depraved nature and you separate the nature from the heart. I don't know exactly how that works. I don't know. Because I mean, when we talk about the old nature, how is it described? The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. The old nature is connected to the heart. So if the old nature is connected to the heart, then to get a new heart would be the eradication unless the old heart stays there and the new heart stays there. So we have the old and the new heart inside of it. Do we understand it that way? But I know this. We have to be concerned with it. And, and, and I know that God is the one that has to do so. Now, if you think about it, how, and he mentioned this in the sermon, how, if the same Hebrew word is used in Psalm 51 for create, well, how did God create the world? He created the world through his word. He spoke it into existence. And how does God, in a sense, create in us a clean heart, it is through his word that washes and cleanses. So then you could say God does it through his word. So then my my thing is to continue to read it, study it, and memorize it. But if you read it and study it and memorize it, do you immediately get a clean heart? See, I, I don't think it quite works that way. But I do know this, 
The Bible tells us over and over and over that the problem is in the heart. The issue is the heart. We've got to see the heart, be concerned with the heart, and be willing to acknowledge the problems in our heart. He gave a number of scriptures here. I don't think I wrote them all down, but I wrote a number of them. Proverbs chapter 4, he gave Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You got to keep thy heart. We got to guard, protect the heart, because where the heart goes, man, everything, that's where our problems, because it's internal. It's internal. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7. Proverbs 23, 7. Proverbs 23, 7. And we read these words. For as, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Right? As you think in your heart. In other words, the heart, the heart, the heart. The heart's the engine. The heart that's driving everything. So what's in your heart? Now, I think uh, connecting it back to the Genesis 22 message, we got to see what's in our heart and we got to be willing to, to, in a sense, lay it down for God. We got to be willing to acknowledge what's in the heart that's not correct. Luke 6, 45. Luke 6, 45. Uh, Jesus says this, it's Luke, I believe it's Luke 6.45. Yes, Luke 6.45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For, uh, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. It's your, the issue is the heart. The heart of the issue is the heart. the The heart is the 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 is the is the center. It's it's everything that matters. So we have to be willing, if we're going to worship God, is in a sense to lay down our heart, our corrupt heart, and say, God, it is dirty. It is filthy. It is corrupt, and I need a clean heart. How God begins to work on our heart, how that all plays out, clearly is a subject of great serious theological dispute and debate. Some people want to make it sound like we have a new heart, but then they can't explain why we continue to sin. Some people almost want to act like we have the eradication of the old man, but they can't. But then they'll say we can't be perfect, and we can't. So then they limit whatever the new heart. Like there's, there's this debate rages forever. But I know this, the heart, is my heart is the problem. My heart is the issue, my heart. And so I have to be willing to at least say in worship every time, if, if we're going to engage in worship, is that not, oh, think about it, in worship, I... I, one of the key elements of worship is hearing the word of God. And the word of God is to expose, the law of God exposes the condition of my heart. The law of God shows me the condition of the heart. The word of God is there to, to in a sense, instruct the heart. So I, I, I in a sense, in worship, I am, pre, I am presenting my heart to God's word. I'm allowing the word to come into my heart to convict, to challenge, to expose. The gospel 
gives me the good news to bring some kind of peace and consolation to my heart. Even though it's evil, at least, at least we get to hear the good news that in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven and that in Christ, you have a perfect heart, that in Christ, you have a clean heart. Now, positionally, you don't, but but at least we can find comfort there. But that doesn't mean that we say, well, okay, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be good with it. No, we have to continually to look to our heart and see what's in it and acknowledge it. We, I think when we say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, it's more of an acknowledgement that my heart is the problem. Now, one day we will have a new heart and one day we'll have a new body. Sin will be completely gone. In the meantime, I don't know. I know we, we can pursue cleanliness of heart. We, we want our heart to be as clean as it can be. We can constantly be trying to clean it through the word of God. We can be praying for God to create some element of cleanliness within our heart. Because, I mean, if you think about it, if you take this in a more, if you take it in a very literal way, then you would be like, well, just pray one time, Lord, create me a clean heart, and then it's over. It's done, right? One prayer, create me a clean heart. You can't be God creating me a clean heart, and then it's a never-ending process. Unless you're saying God creates the clean heart. But he never finishes the job until glorification. So in the meantime, he's that wouldn't be creating me a clean heart. That would be cleansing my heart. And it says creating me a clean heart. So that doesn't work. I, I understand there's a million theological issues here. And I don't have all the answers. And anyone's even remotely honest with themselves. They don't. But I still think we should take the concept here and be convicted. And you have to ask yourself, how could David be been called a man after God's own heart? That there are some ways we can be a man after God's own heart. There's some way we can pursue God and love God and some level, even though our heart is obviously still not right. So what is the condition of your heart before God today? What is the condition of my heart before God? Look, all I could say was, Basically, all I could say is I was listening to that were these words. These are the words I could say as I was listening to this about my heart and about the heart and about having a clean heart. This is what I could say. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. In other words, all I could say was I have sinned because my heart is filled with sin. My heart is filled with self-worship, not God-worship. My heart is filled with love uh, uh, love for self, not love for God. My heart is filled with corruption and deceit and des- desires and lust. And you name it, it's there. It's uh, every covetousness, you name it. It's all there. It's inside my heart. I'm not, there's no way to pretend otherwise. I wish I could just say, God, give me a clean heart and he will. It doesn't work that way. So there's some part of this we have to be convicted. And there's another part of this that we still must always struggle with theologically. Like, I don't want the, like I could turn on the microphone and just deal with the, the theological struggle. Well, what does it mean to give a clean heart? What does that mean? 
I, I could just go through the, th- but then we would miss out the practical here. The practical, practical is guys, we, the heart is talked about a lot in the Bible. We've got to protect it, keep it, look to it and acknowledge when it's not right. And we've got to be willing to lay down those things that we hold dear in our heart that are not in accordance with God and sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now, are we ever going to do it anywhere close to perfect? No, we, we're not. All we can do is strive and, and confess. I think the main thing is just acknowledging that our heart is not clean. Now, feel free to look, listen to sermons on it. Feel, feel free to, to do a, your own research on creating me a clean heart. Again, typically what we found, and we've talked about this in church. I think we talked about it in our, our, our study on law and gospel, actually. I think we spent an entire evening at Victory Baptist Church talking about it. Yes, I'm almost positive it was in our study on law and gospel. Um, that th- this is a complicated passage. Because if the issue is simply like, well, created me a clean heart and then God did it. Well, then why didn't David have a clean heart before he committed adultery? Like, David, you waited that long to say, you know, ask for a clean heart. And if all you got to do is ask for it, then everyone from David on, everyone after Psalm 51 should just be able to say, Lord, created me a clean heart. And then all the problems should be disappeared. Because I don't know what, what would your life look like? And what would my life look like if we had a clean heart? What would it look like if you truly had a clean heart? Now, I think what some preachers do is they say, God will give you a clean heart. But then when they start talking about the clean heart, it's not really that clean. It's just cleaner. But he said, create in me a clean heart. I think our desire is, I think, I think the request is an acknowledgement of how messed up he is. I was shaping in iniquity. Lord, I need a clean heart. My only hope is a clean heart. My only hope, your only hope is a clean heart. But I don't believe we get that on this side of eternity. I believe what we can do is try to cleanse and to clean through the washing of his word what we have inside of us. Now, unless, again, you want to go with the concept that really we have two hearts now inside of us. We have the old heart and we have the new heart and the two are in conflict. Now, you may, may be able to make some kind of an argument that in every person, you, if, if, we, if we say the nature and the heart are the same, let's just do this. If you theologically believe the old, that the nature and the heart is one and the same, they're synonymous, all right, then, we, then you would have to say we have a new heart, but the old heart remains. Therefore, we're in constant conflict. The new heart gives us desire and can be convicted and there's there's something different about us but the old heart remains so if you say we have a new heart well you can't eradicate the old heart and if you have a new heart clearly that new heart is limited because it can't it still can't get us to sinless perfection it still can't get us to keep the law so there's a, there's a, a limit to what the new heart can even do so then what is the new heart is you ha, you it's there but you place all kinds of limits on what it can and cannot do how exactly that works i'm not sure but i know this there's no way you're going to tell me that the old nature is gone but i but I also know that we can't just ignore the conditions of our heart. That in a sense, worship is taking my heart and saying, God, examine it. 
expose to me what's in it through the proclamation of your word. Sacrificing it, in a sense. What's in it? What's my Isaac? What's my precious that I love? Definitely don't want to quote Lord of the Rings and say my precious. So I, I, I take I take that back. <laughs> my precious. I don't want to say my precious. I don't I don't want to do that because you know I can't stand Lord of the Rings. Okay, so so I don't want to do that. But I guess it's a good analogy. My precious, and you, we cling to it, and that is places our heart not in a position before God that is where it should be. Now, you got to be careful here, right? Because it's because on, on one hand, it can just become depressing and discouraging because my heart's never going to be what it should be. It Look, we just have to acknowledge that, right? Like, I, like that's why I believe, well, however you want to try to attribute, well, you have a new heart, but the old is still there. Like, there's just no way to get around that the old is still there, whether you call it the heart or the nature. I, I reject a millionfold the eradication of the old nature because Christi- Christianity would, be, it would be so easy to prove it. If the eradication of the old nature is real, then Christians by faith would just be the most godly, holy, righteous, upstanding people. And we've even seen in this conference that these men of God who preach the scriptures show their lack of love and compassion and their uh, almost hatred for certain people, the, their cruel words and jokes. And like, and you see the ungodliness of it. And we quote, clearly we see the ungodliness of David's heart. And we see obviously the ungodliness of his son's heart, Solomon. And we see the ungodliness of Peter. And we, in fact, over and over and over in the Bible, we see the ungodliness of everyone from Israel to the church to individuals. So we don't want it to become discouraging. Remember, the only thing that will bring peace and comfort to your heart is the gospel where Jesus says, yes, your heart is corrupt, but I've paid for the sins of it. And in me, you have a clean heart. You are perfect. You are holy. But from that, we should then be motivated by God's mercy to then present our bodies a living sacrifice to God which is our spiritual act of worship, which is worship. We sacrifice. God, here is my heart and here's all the things in it. And I place it before you, acknowledging and asking for your conviction and wash me. And Lord, ultimately, you know, the only hope is a clean heart. The only hope. Some some may argue you have to ask for a clean heart every day, but I don't know what that means, right? Like every day you have to ask God for a clean heart. So the clean heart has a expiration date of 24 hours. Like, I, I don't know how that works. The reality is my heart is depraved and my reality is I've got to, and, and I think it's it's the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the word of God that does surgery on the heart. It reveals our motives. It reveals what's inside of us. We just have to constantly place ourselves before God's holiness and God's word to constantly be willing to acknowledge, hey guys, the outside of the cup looks pretty good, but let me just be honest with you, inside it's not so good. And not pretend otherwise. 
Don't create some facade. We got to tear down the facade and just be willing to acknowledge it. Doesn't mean that we just say, hey, I'm, I don't care, but, but acknowledge it and then try to do what we can to put us, ourselves in a position in our worship with the word so that our heart is con- that we're constantly examining the heart. Now, again, you're going to get depressed. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get frustrated. You've got to then run, run to the gospel. The gospel is there to say, hey, 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 don't let your heart be troubled. I've taken care of it all for you. But then don't go, all right, good, then I don't need to do anything. I was convicted because I I constantly am aware of my own heart. And if if you're even remotely willing to admit it, everything David did in action you and I have done far more than once in our own hearts. David knew the action flowed from the heart. The action flowed from his nature. And his only hope is to change that. His only hope practically is that. My only hope ultimately is glorification. Let's just be honest. My only ultimate hope is glorification for, for, for a change. Now, my hope right now, first and foremost, is the finished work of Jesus Christ. The ultimate hope is glorification where it'll be gone. In the meantime, all I can say is, God, my heart is messed up. Please, please, please help me through the washing of your word. Now, that are the thoughts that I have in regards to the first message. Now, the second message dealt with not despising small things, and maybe we'll talk about that at a later time, but I wanted to at least bring that and, and, and just kind of present it to you for you to struggle with and for you to think about and for you to meditate on, because there was plenty there to meditate on. How do you see it? Do you now believe you have two hearts? Do you believe that the old is completely eradicated? And if you do, then why do you keep sinning? Do you believe that even though we may not ever, we can't get rid of the old nature until glorification, that, hey, we got to strive and at least acknowledge and say, God, here's what's in my heart? Because, man, I got some stuff in mine. Oh, don't act so spiritual. You got a lot in yours. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be talking again sometime today. God bless.